This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Antonio Gasparini, who's a senior author of the paper Coarse Particle Air Pollution and Daily Mortality, a global study in 205 cities, which was recently published in the Blue Journal. Dr. Gasparini is Professor of Biostatistics and Epidemiology at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Now, Antonio, before we discuss your paper, can I start with just a, a couple of general questions about air pollution? How is particulate matter categorized? And what are the usual sources of these different categories? Okay, thanks, John. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here presenting this work. Regarding air pollution, there are several categorizations. The first one is, of course, between particulate matter and gaseous pollutants. Today, we are talking about particulate matter, and this is usually categorized in terms, uh, let's say, of the uh, aerodynamic size. And this is, uh, uh, in a way, a way to measure the size of pollution in terms of this deposition, but also its capacity to reach uh, the inner respiratory airways. So the most uh, important categories are the so-called PM10, which is a particulate matter with an aerodynamic size of uh, uh, 10 micrograms or less. And this is then further separated in PM2.5. So it's a, it's a um, fine component, let's say, and the coarse component, which is actually the topic of our paper, which is the PM between 2.5 and 10 micrometers. Sorry, not micrograms. So regarding the particulate matter, it's very important because uh, the composition, uh, of course, depends on the sources, and there are both anthropogenic sources, which the two most uh, probably uh, important are, for example, traffic or industrial processes, but also natural sources. And of course, these, uh, in a way, uh, as a, uh, an effect of varying the composition, in a way, what are the material making this particulate matter that, of course, varies a lot by area, depending on the different sources. So what is already known about the different impacts of inhalable PM10 and fine PM2.5 particles on health? Well, both PM10 first and then later PM2.5 have been studied quite a lot in the epidemiological literature. And the rationale for separating them in terms of looking at their associated health risk is that you expect them to be to have different health impacts given, given the different sources, composition, as I say, and also the demo, uh, deposition mechanism. In particular, it has been argued that PM2.5 being made by smaller particles is more able to reach the, the inner parts of our respiratory system and therefore can have a, a higher toxicity, let's say. So first studies, they've been mostly on PM2.5. Uh, 10, then later there have been regulatory changes requiring also the measure of PM2.5, especially from the early 2000 in many US and European countries, and of course Canada uh, in many other countries. And of course, uh, 
the studies that compare these two, let's say, different definitions of particular matter. What is true is that the, let's say, intermediate part that makes PM10 and therefore the coarse part between 2.5 and 10 uh, micrometer, this has been less uh, studied. And uh, there's a, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of open question if uh, the risk that you find associated to PM10 are mostly, in a way, brought by PM2.5 only, I mean, the finer part, or the coarse part has its own, let's say, health risks associated with that. In terms of coarse PM, it has been seen that it's rich, for example, sometimes it's compared to PM2.5 in heavy metals and organic components, and then you can expect that it can have a different uh, toxicity and especially different potential mechanism of actions and health risks associated with, uh, with, uh, with the health. Okay, now let's now move to your paper. What, what were the objectives of your study? Well, first of all, I should acknowledge that uh, this paper was led in partnership uh, with this uh, uh, multi-country, multi-city uh, collaborative research network, which is a, a big network that I'm coordinating. And in particular, the, the, this specific subproject was led uh, together with a team of Professor Ai Dongtan from Freedom University in China. The main objective was uh, using these uh, data sets that we have collected, international data sets that we have collected within the MCC network to study specifically the mortality risks associated with short-term exposure to coarse PM. We had a previous publication looking specifically instead at PM10 and PM2.5. So it was, in a way, a good complement to that research, focusing on a, PM, on a PM component, which is less studied in the literature. So the first original aim was to present the analysis, but doing so, analyzing data from hundreds of different locations that we have collected within the MCC network. And this allowed us to uh, look at several aspects, uh, more specific aspects on the association, for example, the shape of the dog's response, uh, the potential presence of pressures, and also potential confounding effects uh, of, uh, of copollutants. In particular, uh, there was the need to answer this open question if uh, coarse PM has uh, an independent effect which stays there after controlling for the effect of PM2.5, which of course. Is, is usually highly correlated in, in terms of exposure measurement. You've already mentioned it, but can you describe this multi-center, multi-country collaborative research network in a little bit more detail? Absolutely. Uh, the, the network uh, started in a very informal way during a conference of the International Society of Environmental Epidemiology between uh, colleagues working on, at, at, at that time, especially uh, effects of temperature, but more generally, on uh, health effects of environmental factors. And then it has grown uh, since uh, in an international consortium, including now more than 80 researchers. And through that, we were able to uh, gather this uh, database, which I think is uh, probably one of the largest of its type in this research area. This is mostly in the form of daily time series of uh, health outcomes, as I mentioned mortality outcomes, in particular, all-cause mortality or mortality for specific causes, just like cardiovascular or respiratory 
events and environmental stressors, for example, measures of pollutant and weather parameters in many locations. Most of them are cities, but many others. And in total, uh, we have gathered data from uh, more than 1,000 locations. In this specific analysis, we included the 20, 205 cities in 20 countries within the period 1969 to 2018, for which we have measurements of uh, PM10 and PM2.5. And by their difference, we, met, we estimated the daily levels of coarse PM in all these places. And what was your study design and methodology? So the analysis was uh, conducted using relatively advanced epidemiological methods, in particular study design and statistical models. Uh, and the, the main analysis is based on a two-stage framework. Very simply, what we did, we separate the analysis in two steps. In the first step, we apply time series regression models separately in each city to estimate the local short-term association, in this case, between course, particulate matter, and different mortality causes, and say, or cause a CBD or respiratory, after removing compounding effects of trends and other time-bearing factors. Then we take the estimates from each city, and we pull them all together in the second stage using relatively advanced meta-analytical models. The idea is to pull the information across all the cities, and therefore gaining a lot of power, statistical power, be more precise in our estimation if compared to single city or single location, let's say, analysis. But also this allows us to investigate heterogeneity between places and therefore accounting for differences in the risks, some of which, for example, can be due to the different composition, for example, of uh, course PM, in this case, uh, across these different locations. Thank you, that's quite clear. Now, now, what were your primary findings? Well, uh, we found that there is uh, actually an independent association between course PM and different mortality outcomes. We measured these uh, increasing risk, uh, as usual in many other political studies, as a risk in the short term, meaning from a day to day, associated with a variation in 10 micrograms per cubimeter in uh, course PM. And uh, we saw that this is uh, significantly associated with an increase in risk, in particular by 0.51%, 0.43%, and 0.41% for all causes, cardiovascular and respiratory mortality, respectively. Now, when I mention these uh, figures, of course, they seem really small, 0.51% increase in risk. But we should understand that this applies pretty much the whole population of a city. So there's a bigger denominator and therefore the increasing associated excess of mortality can be quite substantial. In particular, however, uh, I mentioned that before, the availability of these massive data sets has allowed us to look at more specific aspects. And for example, we looked at the shape of the dog response relationship, in particular checking if there was a some evidence of a threshold, meaning some uh, exposure level below which uh, there's pretty much no evidence of, of an effect. Actually, we found no evidence of such threshold. And that's actually the 
the dot response shape was uh, kind of su super linear, which is in a way meaning with a steep increase for very low exposures and then attenuating a very high exposure, which is something consistent with other pollutants. In addition, and I think this is possibly the most interesting aspects, uh, we were able to control in the same model for the effect of other pollutants, and in particular PM2.5, because as I said before, the open question was, as cause course PM an independent effect? Does it have an independent effect on mortality? When you exclude, in a way, you control the effect of PM2.5. And actually found that after control of PM2.5, the estimates were slightly lower, 30% lower, but there was still a signal in a way, uh, evidence of an independent effect, which I think is a very interesting result. Yeah, perhaps you just answered this, but how did you adjust for the potential impact of fine PM 2.5 particles and then other gaseous pollutants such as nitrogen, nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, ozone, and carbon monoxide? Well, this is done through relatively standard regression modeling. Basically, the idea is we built uh, these. Uh, Regression time series regression model by associating the series of mortality, basically mortality count in each city for each day for several years, so very long series. And we associate that with the measurements, daily measurements of course PM 2.5, other attempts in the model to control for seasonality and long term trends, but also you can add other predictors, as we say, and some of them can be these uh, pollutants that you have mentioned. Now, it's very important to stress that this is not new, it has been done in the past. Uh, the, the novelty in our data set is that you can do that repeatedly for different cities, and then you pull this information together. So you obtain for each city, let's say, uh, estimate of course PM cleaned, say, or controlled for away the effect of PM2.5 or other pollutants, and then you pull them together before gaining a lot of statistical power. And these allowed us to be able to obtain precise estimates of effects, uh, even when controlling for correlated predictors, just like the other pollutants. Would you like to speculate on the potential mechanisms of the increased cardiovascular and respiratory mortality associated with coarse particle? PM 2.5 and 10 exposure? Well, I should probably first acknowledge that my expertise in this specific aspect probably is more limited if compared to, let's say, epidemiological designs or, or statistical model, uh, models. And, but there are other co authors, of course, in this paper, there are tens of co authors with uh, some of them with clinical background that have contributed to this part, in particular to frame the, the research question, mostly to in a way, interpret the results and give a motivation about the potential mechanisms. In summary, there are toxicological and experimental studies that they have already linked exposure to coarse PM to several clinical conditions. These have, a, in a way, they include a range of effects, just like inflammation of blood, blood coagulation, as well as, for example, cardiac dysfunction or reduced pulmonary performance. It is true, however, that similarly also to, to the more renewed fusions, just like uh, PM10 or PM2.5, research is still ongoing and there are potentially multiple, probably, 
physiological pathways associated with uh, health risks after exposures to coarse PM. These effects also seem to be linked also with the specific composition of the particulate matter. And I mentioned it before, there can be a different degree of uh, percentage, let's say, of, in terms of presence of heavy metals or other toxic substances. So we presume that the effect can be a bit different from one place to another. And it's exactly also what the data tell us, that the effect is a bit heterogeneous across uh, places also for these, uh, for these reasons. How do your results uh, compare with other studies on coarse particles? Uh, and would you like to highlight the particular strengths of your study? Well, uh, I would say that I was quite, uh, well, positively surprised that the results are pretty comparable with previous studies. Uh, there are several studies from single location or single countries, and especially also some published meta-analysis, uh, also on course uh, PM. So this was a, not at all the first a big study uh, looking at this association. And as I say, the results are relatively similar. Of course, the, some differences that we found and described in the paper can probably partly do to the different locations and therefore different composition of these uh, specific pollutants, which translates into a, in a way different levels of risk, but also potentially different models and methods, epidemiological methods applied to, to estimate the association. And I think this is probably the most important advantage of our study that by gathering together this very large data set of multiple cities in multiple countries in multiple regions and analyzing all of them using consistent, consistent statistical methods, we are able to obtain a more valid comparison and also, as I said before, to reach a higher statistical power that allows you to look at finer details of the association between, uh, between the pollutants and health. And then uh, are there any limitations in terms of your data? Well, possibly many. Of course, uh, this is in common with most of the ob observational studies on health risks associated with uh, environmental stressors. I will mention probably the most important. Uh, first of all, we stressed in the paper the fact that we were able to pull data from different regions, but of course, uh, and our database is not comprehensive and representative of the whole world. For example, we have almost no data from Africa or from the Middle East, and most of the cities, it is true, they are, they, they are sampled, let's say, from Europe, US, or, for example, Japan and other high-income countries. The second, I think, limitation is that the data, the type of analysis, ecological analysis based on time series method, and therefore we compare the average concentration of the pollutant in a specific day with the mortality in terms of mortality count in a specific day. Therefore, the still an ecological level would have no information about potential susceptibility at the individual level. But also the information comes uh, mostly from uh, central monitors, and we have no real information about variation composition and sources of uh, course uh, PM, and therefore this is uh, a limitation we can deal with in future studies. But of course, we are not able to 
capture differences in risks based on these aspects. So my understanding is there are no guidelines or regulatory limits for daily coarse particle PM 2.5 to 10 exposure. Do you think your findings are now sufficiently robust now to propose guidelines? And if so, what would they be? Well, it is true. Uh, the current guidelines for particular matter, they set limits only for PM 2.5. There's no specific regulation for the intermediate, the component, which is coarse uh, PM. So we think that this study can greatly contribute to the discussion about setting, potentially setting guidelines. It's true that the development of these guidelines is usually a very complex and long process where the epidemiological evidence that we are contributing, for example, with this study, should be complemented by toxicological and clinical studies, analysis of sources, and as well as public health and economic consideration. So it goes well beyond our contribution in a way for these very specific epidemiological studies. It's true, however, that our study suggested could be an independent effect of a coarse particulate matter. And this effect, as I say, is independent of PM2.5 and can be different in a way depending on the composition of the area. And therefore, we think that the relevant bodies should probably consider if this is the case to uh, regulate it directly. Now you looked at cardiovascular and respiratory mortality. There have been some recent studies linking air pollution to the development of dementia. I know you didn't look at it, but is that something that you'll be able to examine from this database in the future? Well, it is true that air pollution is, uh, has now been more recently linked with many other health uh, outcomes if compared to the, well, to the one traditional study in epidemiological analysis, just like uh, broad causes or mortality or morbidity, just like cardiovascular respiratory. In particular, it's true that there are now evidence of uh, association with uh, uh, dementia. However, regrettably, I must say, no, the data we have collected at the moment uh, probably is not, uh, it cannot be used in a way to look at this specific association. The main reason is that the assumption is that dementia is linked with the long-term processes associated with let's say chronic exposure to environmental stress, which could uh, go on for years, if not decades. Our uh, methodology and data based on time series analysis can be used at the moment only for analysis on short-term effects, and therefore with a sudden increase in risk uh, following spikes, let's say, in exposures. It is true, however, that the collaborative framework that we have built uh, can be used similarly to collect new data and extend the scope of the collaborative research in the near future using possibly different types of data. Mostly, I think cohort data uh, will be needed and uh, uh, different methods. For example, looking at the long-term association than just short-term, but it's something that is possible to do, let's say, using the same collaborative framework. Okay, this has all been very interesting. Do you have any final comments you want to make about your study? Well, uh, well, linked with the comment I've just made, 
Well, I would like to stress the importance of uh, collaborative networks, just like the multi-country, multi-city partnership that I've just described. Uh, these networks, they provide multidisciplinary expertise. Uh, well, a good example is somebody uh, complementing with the clinical knowledge, they say the, the uh, expertise provided by people like me, which is more focused on, on uh, epidemiological methods. Uh, and also representation from both high and low and middle income regions, which I think is a, something very important. Uh, I would say that the, the MCS network has been so far relatively successful in producing high impact uh, research outputs, even if it's been mostly an um, informal network, not uh, supported by, by direct funding. And therefore, I think that it's, it's, it's a good example of something that you can do to, to address, uh, let's say, planetary health problems on a way, global problems just like uh, pollution. Finally, I would like to thank all the colleagues and co-authors, in particular, I mentioned Professor Haidon Khan and his team at Fudan University who collect, co-led this study. I'd like to thank Dr. Gasparini for this, uh, very much for this discussion. To the listener, to read the articles uh, or the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. So thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.